All right. Welcome to the podcast. This is Behind the Movement. I'm Kyle Fincham. I'm really excited to share this conversation that I had with Winston Reynolds with you all. Um, Before I get to it, first thing, um, I have to extend a huge thank you to everybody who came out for Infinite Play in Seattle. That event was so much fun, such a, a, a magical, epic group of people um, who, really, who really brought it. Um, so thank you to all of you. Um, it was so great. I can't wait to uh, uh, play with you all again soon. Um, if you're in the Bay Area, Oakland, Berkeley, San Francisco, um, I'm going to be doing Infinite Play this weekend um, in partnership with uh, the Athletic Playground in Emeryville, California. Um, That's this Saturday. That's at 10 a.m. It's a two-hour event. Um, if If you're interested, if you want to get in on it, you can sign up by going to uh, the Athletic Playgrounds website. That's tapgym.com, and they have a, um, a workshop events page, and you can sign up there. Or you can go to movementbrooklyn.com, and there is a, uh, a direct link to the sign-up page there as well. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I think it's going to be uh, uh, an awesome, good time for us. Yeah, that's all I got. Next week I'll be back. Uh, in Boulder. So if you're in the Boulder area, I will be back at um, Block 1750 for classes on Thursdays at 10.30 a.m. Cool. Let's not waste any time. Let's get to it. Um, Like I said, I spoke to Winston Reynolds recently. If you're uh, not familiar with Winston's work, let me give you a little bit of a background. Uh, Winston graduated from Circo Media, specializing in acrobatics and physical theater, and later went on to complete his bachelor's at the Academy of Circus and Performance Arts. Within his research, he specialized in acrobatic dance, a hybrid mix containing elements of gymnastics, capoeira, breakdancing, improvisation, and animal locomotion, as well as undergoing several years of research around acrobatic contact partnering. He is the founder of the company, uh, the education company, Yeknam, and he's a member of Ferris and Mini Terranova, a group of cross-disciplinary craftspersons reaching, researching in the fields of human physiology and performance through both an artistic and scientific lens. Um, yeah, it was really great to uh, connect with Winston uh, a really good friend of mine who always has the best recommendations, uh, Leah Woods, had all the best things to say about him and, and, and recommended that I reach out. So I did, and, uh, and we made this conversation happen. So here it is, my, uh, my talk with Winston Reynolds. Your name came up, she was talking about you studying... Uh, like circus school, I think. Yeah. Um, I think it was maybe it came up because I was talking about how I had gone to theater school and yeah, I don't know. I, I, I found that so fascinating. I was talking to somebody yesterday who went to circus school here in the United States. And I was saying that there was a time that uh, I was really thinking seriously about becoming a clown. Really? Yeah. Yeah. 
How come? How come you wanted to do that? So I was living in New York. Yeah. And I was doing stand-up comedy, which I did for like 10 years. And as I said to him, I was like, I was obsessed as a kid with people like Jim Carrey and Steve Martin and Robin Williams. And there was like this physicality about the way they like presented their comedy that I, I felt like I, I hadn't nurtured as I became an adult. Yeah. And uh, I remember being in theater school and, and one of the people we were exposed to is this guy named Bill Irwin. Do you know him? He's like one of the last like famous clowns left. Like he's been on Broadway and things like that. He's an American clown or? I don't know if he's American. He might be European. I'd have to look it up, but he's one of the last few kind of like people who's kind of famous as a clown. Yeah. And I just remember thinking like, oh, like there's something there. But it was at a time where, not that the internet wasn't a thing, but like YouTube was kind of new and like you couldn't search everything. So if I looked up like clown school, it was like, you know, when Google was in its infancy. <laughs> and when it was hard to find, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll just keep moving forward then. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. crazy. You could have taken your life in a different direction. Yeah, yeah. There's loads yeah. of these crossroads. Mm -hmm. So what what was it about circus school that kind of drew you in? Um, it's a long story. Um, so my my dad, he he's a musical composer. And he writes music for theater and circus. So from the age of, I can kind of remember back when I was like four years old, we used to tour in England with this circus called No Fit State, uh, which was at the time kind of like the leading contemporary circus in England. So my childhood was kind of, um, kind of scattered with these long tours where we would live in a caravan and tour around with the circus. So it's kind of like always there somehow. And as a kid, you're just around this really like kind of vibrant environment. And that would be interrupted by like school and going back to kind of Sweden where I was uh, growing up. But then being around the kind of circus environment, when I became a teenager, I was quite drawn away from it, actually. I didn't really want to be part of it. Like, because I don't know, you're, you're, in, you're in it so much that it kind of becomes this thing where you're like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. But then when I was around 16, my mom convinced me to do an audition at the circus school in Bristol. And I, I just like, I just listened to him when I was about to like not do it, but in the end I went. And then from there, it was like, I got in, went into circus school and that's the beginning of the journey somehow. So I was like, I was deeply integrated within circus and then I drew away from it naturally, but then full circle and I come back to it. I feel like that's become a common theme recently when I talk to people is this kind of like full circle thing, like kind of like returning back to where we started. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely there. I mean, like I have I have six siblings and of course, for some of them, they haven't made that full circle. You know, they've gone different routes. I think um, my sister is kind of involved in theater a bit, but the other two are completely uh, in a different world. So I guess it depends on each of us somehow. Did you ever get drawn in to perform as a as a child, or were you always just kind of traveling and touring with them? Um, yeah, when I was, I mean, like I'd say ninety percent that traveling and touring, um, mm. just playing with the other kids and just messing around a lot. I remember a lot of it was we never did like 
it wasn't like a traditional circus where you'd maybe pick up some you'd get trained in handstands or acrobatics or whatever the parents were doing but um, there was a lot of freedom and i think the freedom allowed us to yeah just play around and explore in this really unusual environment to grow up in actually and it was only later that i i kind of realized that that set up the foundation for a lot of my um yeah a lot of my stuff right now i think yeah i can i can only imagine and it and and you said your dad was working as a composer right yes so he i mean he he did gymnastics as well so he had kind of like a slight acrobatic background uh, more on the gymnastic um, bars. I don't know what they're called. The official like the, like the parallel bars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was doing this, and um, so he he was kind of mainly playing music. But there was a part in the show where he ran out from the band and would join the kind of trampoline routine. And for me, that was like <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought he was yeah like Peter Pan or something. Like, it was crazy. I remember he would that, do this this double front flip. You know, every show. <laughs> I was like, man, that's my dad. Like, <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, as like a kid seeing your dad something like that, you're like, oh my gosh, this guy's a superhero. Yeah, yeah it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, so then were you also drawn into music as well? Yeah, it's, again, it's one of those things like, I feel like you either get completely drawn in or you go the other way. And I never really invested much time in learning an instrument, but I was surrounded by music a lot as a child so i i felt like there was always a strong connection to music or to rhythm mm -hmm. um just kind of haphazardly happens as you're surrounded by it um and then maybe a little bit more to kind of uh, spoken word or kind of poetry or lyrics like this like if i went down one musically musical route it would be more words or kind of within the vocal range but never really because he plays like saxophone piano accordion singing digital production but yeah i didn't i didn't go down it that way but uh, it's definitely definitely ingrained in me i think somehow yeah it's like you are, were like surrounded by like a, a culture of music yeah and you're a child so like your surrounding is like it's, it's just you know affects so much of how you develop in that age i think and it's only now that I kind of start to put the pieces together a bit. Right. Right. So much of it is just like, uh, it must be innate because of just the world you existed in for so long. Yeah. Yeah. That could be something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. what, it, what, what about your mom? Was she also working in the circus? So my mom, <clears throat> she's a bit younger than my dad, like 10 years. Um, and she was always fascinated by puppetry. So she was kind of like always as a hobby, she would make these kind of paper mache puppet heads and play around. And um, so it was a more of a hobby for her. And then she would be in the circus. And when she was there, she would uh, help with the cooking or then looking after the children. That was kind of her. her um, but she was never involved in the music or anything like this. She was more behind the scenes a bit. Mm -hmm. She's the one who convinced you to audition. She's the one who convinced me. And I remember, that, I remember that morning, I was not getting up. I was like, no way. <laughs> it was like school was a bit rough and, and I was kind of like, yeah, I'm not really fully focused there. And I remember my, my grades were okay. I always kind of managed, but I didn't put much effort in. 
Um, and but there was I did performing arts, and that was kind of the one subject where I was sort of a little bit more committed to. And I did a few performances within the school, and they went well. And there was um, the teacher was very supportive. And my mom, we had a family, we had like a family friend, her name was Blaze. Uh, she's like a Jamaican circus artist from England. She'd gotten into the circus school in England two years prior. And my mom had spoken about her a bit and said like, ah, oh, look, Blaze is doing this circus school thing. And I kind of just was like, yeah, sure. Like, but so she had found out about the circus school through Blaze and then this audition was coming up. And I think I'd been out partying the night before or something. You know, my mum came in at like I don't know, seven in the morning. And my mum can be quite strict sometimes. Like my dad's really soft and chill, but my mum's like, she gets onto one and she really, really was hard on me that morning. So eventually I was like, oh, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, they, yeah, I got in. So, but I didn't really, I didn't know at that point what that would lead to. But, you know, my mum, she's, you know, there's so many instances where she's just been right mm -hmm. about something. And in the moment, I don't see it. But then like years later, I go, shit, man, you were right again. <laughs> this was one of those moments. Wow. So when when you auditioned, there wasn't the dance and acrobatic background. You didn't you didn't have that. I I like messed around with acrobatics a bit. Like I could I could do a front flip. I could jump. I, I, I was like you know, you're in this, like the circus environment, you have a show in the evening and you have sort of rehearsals in the day a bit, but the rest of the time it's an empty circus tent with a lot of equipment. So me and my friend, Charlie, who was also touring, you would literally just climb ropes or jump on the trampoline for hours. Who could jump the highest, who could do the biggest front flip. So there was this kind of like grease the bolt approach to training, a bit like skaters, mm -hmm. you know, there's not like a system, but they just go and they keep on going. So mm -hmm. I think there was definitely some sort of foundation built up there. So when I came to the circus school, I had some, I had some little ideas of what acrobatics was somehow. And I performed a little bit in the show, in the circus school in the, in the, in the touring with my dad. So there was like, yeah, some foundation, but not much, mm -hmm. no dancing for sure. So then when you get into the circus school, were you kind of like open and being like, oh, I'm going to kind of try everything? Or did you have your sights set on like a, a couple things? I was definitely interested in um, acrobatics. But in the, it was a two year education in England. And the first six or seven weeks, uh, like 20 students come into the year, you do all the disciplines. So you do juggling, uh, aerial, acrobatics, um, let's see other ones. Uh, physical theater so it's like these four main disciplines so first seven weeks you do all of it and then at the end of those seven weeks you choose two disciplines so then i chose acrobatics and physical theater um which yeah so i i knew i would do acrobatics i wasn't sure about the second discipline but um that's what i chose in the end so how how was your time doing the physical theater yeah that was good that was really cool like i was in a group where most of the people were older than me Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah I had a certain character at that age I think I yeah I was quite stubborn and quite um how to say yeah let's just say I was quite stubborn and 
I was in this group of older people, like I was, I was what, 17 or 18? I was like 27 year olds and kind of that age range. And the teacher was a very serious physical theater guy who trained at Lecoq in Paris. Mm-hmm. So he was, he believed in me, but he was very hard on, hard on me. He would be very honest and say like, Winston, you might be too young for this. Maybe it's better to choose Ariel. Maybe it's better to choose this. But I was sort of stubborn and I stuck to it. Um, so yeah, I was definitely out of my comfort zone and had to let go of a lot of things to, to go through those two years. But I think it was, um, I think it was a good thing to be, to stay in mm-hmm. and to seek, seeking discomfort a bit. Yeah, 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 the physical theater was nice. Yeah, when I look back on my time in in theater, and I, I bring it up a lot because I think it's like, it was this vaudeville class that I was really obsessed with. I would like, I would ditch other classes to like go take more of this class with this guy. Um, and I always say like, I had no idea what he was doing at the time. I didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was like insane. We were just like, dancing and he's banging a drum and we're pretending to be animals and it was like but i always just yeah. like wanted more of it um because i thought it was like whatever the magic was i was like this is the magic this is the magic yeah um, yeah I mean, this, this was present in the physical theater like we would do this choral work like mm-hmm. a massive improvisation and you would just go to some crazy places like really crazy yeah it's this like nice balance right because it's you know I imagine, and I'm just like totally assuming, but it's like, you know, without even knowing you, you start doing like acrobatics, which is like, you know, pretty technique heavy, I assume. And like, you know, words attached to like the movements, but then you seem to have this like nice balance of like physical theater where it's like, it's a little bit more of like playing to the spirit, right? Yeah, absolutely. If I'd chosen Ariel, it would have been two systems kind of going in the same direction which is what you have a lot in circus people get obsessed with the technique people get so invested in that mm-hmm. and there's not another sphere to complement to complement the main practice mm-hmm. uh, yeah so yeah i'm very grateful for it anyway um yeah so when did you then kind of like start tiptoeing into the world of dance yes how to approach this um so within the acrobatics, I met a Sicilian girl and we started to do partnering acrobatics. And in circus, you have like the more conventional, like classical, like where you'd have a bass and a flyer. And we went more for a sort of, we were more interested in this. Um, she was a rope artist and we were more interested in this kind of like more contact impro-esque style with acrobatics within it. So already, already from that moment, we started to play much more in this lower level, like uh, lower to the floor level acrobatics, where there was also space to combine the solo acrobatics a bit more. So it felt like it was a little bit more um, uh, kind of related to our, our, our disciplines in a way. Um, that didn't work out, that relationship. Because we also got together at some point and, you know, it's difficult. Like It's a classic thing, you know, circus couples. But um, so we, we worked a lot together for like a year, then broke up. And then there was another Belgium guy in the same circus school. Uh, his name is Axel, Axel Guirin. And we, I saw him and I was like, okay, this is a very different body than the one I've been working with. He's like, you know, this much taller than me. 
really lanky kind of long hair quite chilled guy and we did a few sessions together and it was really interesting because suddenly from this world of me only being able to lift her i could suddenly become lifted by him and vice versa so i would also lift him so this kind of contact contact impro acrobatics became it just opened up a lot of directions and we were more interested in in the I, we didn't call it dance then but it definitely took a different appearance than what was going on in the school at the time and then this whole acro dance thing was quite new as well you had like acrobats acro partnering and acro dance was this little thing which was sort of bubbling at the side there were a few people around uh, starting to do it um, and that definitely inspired us as a guy uh, australian guy louis west i don't know if you know him you know what i i didn't meet him but he and i were in the same place like six years ago so i've, I've witnessed louis west yeah so he had some youtube videos which we would just like sit and watch and like wow and and, and yeah just take inspiration from so there was definitely like this like pursuit of solo acrobatic dance from both of us but then how could we combine that so that's like we didn't really invest so much in dance then but it did build up this kind of yeah alternative approach to dancing together within a certain theme of movement so did that become like the like the the nature of your work then like as you left school was it like kind of in that that space to kind of like partner acrobatic yeah, dancing partner acrobatic dance but that was only our first school so then we went and auditioned for a second school mm -hmm. so me and axel decided we graduate from here we go to belgium and to the netherlands we did two auditions we got into one of the places which was in uh, a small place called tilburg in in holland mm -hmm. it was like a four-year bachelor degree so yeah, we continued. We did six years straight up, straight up, and continued the acrobatics uh, in there. And the circus school in Holland was part of a big university. So there was you had theater department, dance department, film department, and circus department. Mm -hmm. So what naturally started happening was I started to get curious with of the dance institution, and some of them were also interested in the circus institution. So I would kind of sneak off and and take dance classes, join the floor work lessons, join the contemporary lessons. Um, and then even the school would sort of start to let me take them because it, it would uh, supplement the acrobatic practice really well. Mm -hmm. So there was this kind of natural relationship that built up there. Um, and that's how I yeah, got more into the dance world somehow. It just made so much sense. You're an acrobatic dancer and mm -hmm. the circus school doesn't offer you enough dance. You do, you do acrobatics every day. Mm -hmm. You don't have a. You don't have a practice of dance. It's hard to, to progress there. I think. It's pretty interesting to me because I I've talked to a lot of people and we've like kind of, been a little critical about like school education university setups where you know we have all these like specializations that, stay away from each other. Yeah. You know, and they should really be collaborating and like creating common language and metaphors and things like that. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, and now I think back in theater it was probably similar to my experience, but even in, even in the arts, even in like circus and dance, there's a little bit of that like separation and isolation. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's integrating more now, especially in Europe, like where I'm around, but 
for me, it's like, yeah, if you're in a dance school, of course you have acrobatic lessons. You know, it, it's, yeah, definitely. And if you're in a circus school, you have dance lessons. You might not need to go into ballet or something super specific, but I think there's a foundation. You know, mm -hmm. in circus school, everyone does acrobatics. Uh, it doesn't matter what your discipline is. It's kind mm -hmm. of like a yeah, foundation for it. So, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, man, six years. I mean, that's like a, you're, you're practically a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing. So then it was it after that that you kind of entered like the professional world of, of performance? Mm, I had a teacher. So we work on like a guest teacher basis, like a big difference between circus education and dance education, at least from what I understand is in circus, you get a lot of one-to-one -one teaching or two-to-one. And in dance, you don't get this as much. You get more a group scenario. Uh, both offer different things. But we had this guy called Alexander van Turnout, um, Belgium, Belgium guy. And he did, he did like a journey of, he, he kind of works on the crossroad between dance and circus as well. He did a two-year, a three-year degree in Belgium on the, the seer wheel, the, this metal wheel. And then he went to a school in Belgium, Brussels called Parts. So uh, dance education. So he's, he'd already done this journey, like from kind of circus school, acrobat seer wheel into dance. And then he was a bit lost in his progress or like what he wanted to do. So he decided to teach. And he was continually studying. He was studying with Fighting Monkey, Ido Portal, all of these people. So he was getting a lot of information. And then we would have him in school and all of this stuff, he would just test it out on us. And from, from him, it opened up a lot of uh, portals to these other people. Would kind of trickle down through him and we had him for four years so i think that was a real lucky thing for us to have that kind of um transition transition person to these different arts i think yeah yeah i mean that's really like um interesting like right place right time exactly right place right time yeah mm -hmm. that's what it felt like wow so um, then, just go back to your your to going into the professional field like where did it happen mm -hmm. the guy alexander he started making his own work so just when we were in the third year he proposed to me and axel and another acrobatic dancer let's make a piece i've got this funding he's already he already had a successful solo at that point so already in the third year we started to integrate into his company so we graduated and went straight into that um, which toured for creation one year and touring for one year and then COVID happened. That's kind of, it was like, yeah, straight transition into the professional world via him in a way. Interesting. Wow. Um, so you were working professionally right up to like when COVID hit? Yeah. I mean, still during COVID, I carried on in some productions, like there was a film I did and there's, there's still like productions going on, but that was the big tour. Like we'd done one season and then we were jumping into the second season. Mm -hmm. We started hearing about COVID, you know, like artist oh, thing. And then I remember we were on tour. We'd done four shows. We had like 25 left. Our tour manager, and we we're joking about it at dinner, you know, like, yeah, it's not going to do anything. And then our tour manager comes to us after the show and says, 10 shows are canceled. Da -da -da -da. And we're like, oh. <laughs> so yeah, it happened super quick. And then, 
we kind of like kept some things in the pipeline but eventually yeah we had to just cancel that piece it took too long and it dragged out wow so do you think when when covid kind of wraps do you think you'll return to that or or have like is everything changed now not to that piece mm -hmm. we had a final we had a final research four weeks ago just mm -hmm. as a sort of just to like kind of honor the the piece we had he had some funding it was like guys just come to my studio for four days I have some ideas maybe in 2020 before we make a new piece um let's just keep it in the pipeline so we did four days had fun and then we kind of just wrapped it up so now it's now it's put away it's put away which is fine i think it was good that it it got dragged along so long that in the end it's like okay let's move on from it uh, yeah is there somewhere to see this piece online um i'm not sure if the whole piece is online uh, i can send you over a trailer yeah get an idea and if there is a if there is a full piece of it, I could send you that over as well. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, that's so cool. So that was it. Were you, were you teaching at all during this time? COVID. Um, what, what or or, or te teaching like um, uh, before COVID. Teaching before COVID, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I was, I kind of like I was interested in teaching. I saw all these dance teachers doing it. I was kind of like. Okay, this looks fun. So I looked my calendar and then like I projected workshop two days. Just put it in there and then I booked the studio and kind of just left it. And then the closer I got, the more real it became. So then I was like, okay, I need to organize this. So I kind of organized a Facebook event, a few collaborators, and then taught a two-day workshop and it went super well. Uh, it's kind of yeah and then that just jumped and uh that kind of launched that teaching journey a little bit how long how long ago was that uh, what was that? 2021 i would like to say 2016 maybe mm -hmm. i'd like to say that i think so yeah in brussels yeah. two-day workshop that was the first one and and so while you were like performing and in, in, in education, you were balancing that by also doing some like teaching when you had the openings. Yeah. So with the performing, it's never like a it's not a full time job like conventional. It's we have like these these kind of periods, you know, like oh, three weeks here, two weeks off, four weeks there, two weeks off. So there's always there's always these windows as a self self employed artist you always find these little windows to kind of insert things. And it's kind of nice because you, you have this space between things. You're not always fixed in the same environment. So that gave me at that time a lot of freedom to, to explore this teaching, yeah. to see what it was all about. Yeah. And at the time, was it like mostly dancers and acrobats who were coming to you for education? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like... Um, I mean, people start to see you a little bit. They start to hear about you through Facebook or through something. Like I didn't have Instagram then. I didn't have any of that. So uh, in the beginning, it was more people who knew me or knew people who knew me. Mm -hmm. And from, from that, it started to build up. And then the social media started to increase. And it's a small world, you know, European circus and dancing. It, it spreads quickly. So um, that started to build naturally. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, 
I think, and we, we created this company, me and this Axel guy, Yeknam, mm-hmm. um, as a sort of platform or, or some sort of kind of base to teach from. And it was like a performative slash teaching uh, platform. Now it's died down a little bit. It's sort of in the in the works, but um, yeah, we kind of used that as a as a platform to to reach out more in this educational mm-hmm. space. And and then at some point, I mean, it's like again, like right place, right time, right? You have like this certain kind of education. You're already teaching like dance and uh, acrobatics, primarily for performers, and then like this like this movement space kind of like cracks open. Yeah. Right. And then I have to assume like, then this whole other pool of people start kind of like kind of pouring into your stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird. Like you, you suddenly find yourself in a space where yeah, like you're an acrobatic male dancer. So that's already in the dance world. That's like a very sought after thing. A lot of people are sort of yeah interested in that. And then indeed the, the movement culture scene just explodes and a lot of the stuff i've been busy with for years like uh you know not not too dancing not too circusy somewhere in between and it kind of like yeah just like movement enthusiast in a way i was exploring a lot of things mm-hmm. uh, within the aerial with the acrobatics climbing dancing fighting so you just find yourself in this pool and you're like ah okay now there's now there's a community and they're yeah. interested so, yeah but I mean, I learned also a lot from from the movement culture as well. Mm-hmm. It was definitely things I took from there. But like, like what? Um, more based around strength work, you know, like the science behind some of it, the science behind like, yeah, how to how to like progressive overload or how to learn one arm pull up or these things which I've sort of approached as very much like I'll just try it. But now I kind of start to learn systems and take part in training plans and yeah, explore that a bit more. Um, yeah, a bit more nerdy, I guess, for me. Which yeah. I kind of like because the dance world is like dance and acrobatics, it can be so free and open that if I only have that, you get a bit lost. Sometimes it's nice to have these like structured things. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the the opposite is true for people who always stay on a fixed structure. They just need to, to be free a bit more. So it's finding that balance, uh, I think. Do you find that like um, people who are in kind of like the performance world or dance world um, to some degree almost like neglect some of these like maintenance things that you're kind of alluding to? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, the one thing is if you have too much freedom, you just lose, you lose who, like you know, people lose their motivation around dance because they just stay in that world. And it's so sort of open that, you know, I have a lot of friends who kind of quit or they kind of go a different way or they don't really see it going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the injuries, you know, but there's like two ways to look at it because you're working for choreographers, you're working for new pieces, new environments. So no matter how much you prepare, there's going to be so many variables it might be the environment, it might be the day, it might be that the choreographer didn't like handle the working hours well enough or that your partner didn't know how they jumped on you. It's a super complex environment, but I think people do, they come out of education and then they neglect that kind of supplementary maintenance work a bit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you see injuries around you, you see them happening, you see people pick themselves up again and then you see people who don't. Mm-hmm. Um, 
is definitely, yeah, definitely kind of present in a way. So what, what, what kind of stuff do you do currently? I'm sure it's like dynamic and changing, but like from like a supplemental perspective and currently, yeah. So I'm working with a guy called Marcelo Paloso. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's one of Ido Portal's uh, main students. Yeah. You know him? Yeah. I, I know Marcelo. Yeah. 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 So he's working, I mean, he's working with him closely. So I saw his stuff and I was sort of interested in a more, a practice which took me out of the studio a bit more and he's working on this parkour and environmental practice so i kind of had him in my sight for a while and then i had a friend will brown mm -hmm. you know him as well i haven't met will but i know of will yeah and then flynn disney mm -hmm. so these guys i kind of seen they were practicing a bit um i mean i know will was uh, practicing with marcelo so then i just contacted marcelo once and said hey I'm interested in what you're doing. Um, what do you think? And he was like, sounds good. I have one more spot. Do you want to take it? And I said, not yet. <laughs> I'm busy now because I said, I was honest. I said like, look, man, like to balance, I've heard about this sort of training and, you know, you need to be committed to a certain extent. I know like the Edo guys, they train eight hours a day, like non-negotiable one day off sort of thing. So I was just honest and I said, I think I have to wait until my workload's less. Mm -hmm. And then I came to June, uh, March, contacted him again. I said, yeah, I'd like to start. Mm -hmm. So now I'm on the sixth week of this training program. Um, yeah, and I'll get my new training program next week. So that's exciting. It's really nice. It's really interesting. Uh, supplementary work to my practice. And I see, I really feel it seeping into to the other areas. Mm -hmm yeah really interesting yeah that's uh I, i'm so fascinated i'm curious to see like um i don't know how it evolves like in like a year from now or two yeah. years even like what 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 you're doing and what it's what it starts to look and feel like yeah i mean i approached it from two two angles like one was as a student mm -hmm. but one was also as like an educator or a teacher i was curious to how he transmits what he does via an online platform mm -hmm. because he does this distant learning thing where you, you know, you do a three month commitment and then it can go on and it's a little bit more autonomous. Like mm -hmm. I get the program, I practice, we keep in touch. Whereas I've taught online live classes and recorded lessons and it's nice. But if I was going to continue my like educational journey online, I think I would be more inclined to, have students on this long distance learning where we have like a longer relation. Maybe I take six or seven students and then we go on like a longer journey. So I was really interested in how he, he approaches that. So it's yeah. kind of this double learning curve. I mean, that was so much of like my education. I did five years of online coaching with Ido. Yeah. And kind of like was like part and like, you know, it changed a lot. Of five years, man. Yeah. Five years, five years. I don't even, I don't even walk on my feet anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, being in that process in that way, like I, I, I forget how it frames, how I approach a lot of things, having yeah. like had like a really autonomous practice, you know, sharing things online. Like it's all through like that pretty thick lens. Yeah. Yeah. It affects everything. Huh? Yeah. But I've also like now, I've been doing like um, some continuing education online with uh, with Tom Wexler, 
and yep. it's also really fascinating to like see different approaches to like long distance online yeah, education yeah, yeah. yeah that's it like dipping my toes in different pools like tom and me we've met a few times and trained and I know a little bit how he transmits information and that's maybe a little bit closer to in my speciality in a way, more this acrobatic, uh, yeah, acrobatic approach. Yeah, it's interesting how, how people will try and share their practice through this online platform in different ways. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you find that uh, like people will come to you for like maybe an online class or something and they see the things that you do on Instagram and and i'm just totally assuming just because i you were talked about being in physical theater and and what i imagine some ways like pieces of your practice might look like but do you are there sometimes people show up and they see all like the acrobatic movements and then you kind of surprise them by being like yeah absolutely. do some sort of exploration or imagination absolutely. like absolutely but in a way it's like this instagram thing's a dangerous thing you know mm-hmm like you get sucked into it like it starts as this kind of like oh yeah i'll just post some stuff suddenly you have like twenty five thousand followers and, and you're doing like you know many people there's like a shallow following and then there's like a deeper following and i think you in a way i kind of build up my own box mm -hmm. of of i have done anyway and i have to be careful not to go down that road too much and mm -hmm. also um you know not just post the kind of fruits of my labor but also the process of it and that's something i'm battling with a bit um, because in a way like being active in there has offered me many opportunities work wise like films this kind of thing but it you know the integrity of some of it can be uh, a bit confusing sometimes so yeah a, a careful careful approach to it i think is but it's also nice. Sometimes it's a surprise. People come and they they go, "Whoa! I thought it was only acrobatics, but there's this whole other approach, and mm -hmm. and vice versa." Like it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, I mean, it's a. It can be really, really beautiful. I mean, I've I've been there. I've seen where people come in and they're like, not necessarily let down or disappointed, but they feel like they need to keep peacocking. Yeah. Right. Um, when so much of it is being like oh like let's let's like almost like find your authenticity in different situations mm. yeah it's, it's a long process like you you meet someone that inspires you like if i meet someone who i'm who inspires me mm. i'm just like watching how they are like it's not just about what they're like the tricks or anything. like okay how is this person approaching things what what are they doing outside of the training what is their like you know what is their what is underlining what they're doing somehow mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. So do you like, and I hate doing like putting words and definitions on things, but I realized like, you know, there, you know, you were like a, a performer, an acrobat, a dancer. Um, are you kind of, especially with kind of like this, as I said, like this breaking open of like the movement space and these people kind of coming to you from a lot of different worlds. Do you find yourself and maybe you already kind of answered this by talking about training with Marcelo, but kind of exploring what it means to be a generalist. Is that kind of like the step you're, 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 you're taking or playing with? I think I am in a way. Mm -hmm. I think about even, yeah, a generalist to some extent, but I'm, I think I'm definitely also a specialist. 
-hmm. think I, I can't forget that. It's I'm picking a lot of different things, but and I think I've been drawn away from my speciality or like the, the kind of one road which I spent so much time on. But again, there's this full circle thing. I, I, I went down this road and I did this and now I'm finding myself coming back there with all these new tools and all these new perspectives and actually kind of coming back to the root of things and be like, okay, maybe, maybe I am interested in this route. So I don't know, I could, yeah, you could say generalist in some way, like I'm in mean, a movement, uh, you know, when it comes to movement, it's, it's a wide, wide lens somehow. Mm -hmm. Just if I'm going to commit myself to something that takes a lot of energy and I need to be prepared to invest that energy rather than go half, half, half. Somehow. Mm -hmm. What are other, what are other worlds that you look at and you're like, Oh, when I get the time, I want to spend some time there. Hmm. Yeah. Two things come up like the hip hop world a bit mm -hmm. hip -hop dancing. It kind of fascinates me a bit, like all the styles and, you know, I watch a lot of these French dancers and, it's really hard. It's really like, just in like a practical sense, like moving like these guys, it's a different flavor and that fascinates me. Um, away from kind of the dance world, deep deep sea diving could be interesting. Um, surfing, definitely. Uh, I mean, climbing, but the climbing again is a, is a kind of relates a bit more to my practice in a way um running effort running orientation kind of like surviving in the wild there's a lot of things there which i still need to go down that i'm super interested in i i bring it up often i really want to get into bushcraft yeah 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 i've looked up a few courses in england and i'm like damn i need to do that i said to my friends sam and lewis i was like we need to learn to survive out there. Like, not, <laughs> not like bad grills, but like, what if what if we go down like this 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 wrong road and we're stuck in the marsh and we don't know like how to orientate ourselves? Mm -hmm. you know, really simple like that, or or like forage or something like this. And I think like educational our educational work will start to move a bit more towards this outdoor indoor relationship, mm -hmm. where we can also start to practice more outdoors in nature and see what the environment can do but yeah bushcraft that's that's something on the cards when the covid thing dies down a bit like definitely want to do some courses in that yeah i'm 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 super fascinated i got drawn in i started watching this show called alone i don't know if you've seen it alone? and it's they send like 10 people to the arctic and they only have like 10 items with them and they're all placed in different places so they never see another person and that. oh you got to watch it and I didn't know if it was going to be cheesy or what it was on like the history channel. And then all these people who like exist in the bushcraft space started yeah. referring to it as like the super bowl of bushcraft. <laughs> and, and they live out. I mean, one dude lived there for a hundred days. So they have to like build shelter. They have to hunt. They have like little GoPro cameras. So they film themselves. Um, it's pretty amazing. And I mean, I don't know. I've, I, I talk about this a lot and I talked about this with Tomislav. We talked about kind of like sensory experience and stuff and like watching them outside. And there's like, you know, after a few days of being there and then it's just like them, you just, you, you see different things happening and like their full sensory experience happening like all at once yeah. as they're there and kind of like 
you know, they're hunting, but not hunting. They're like aware. They're, I, I don't know. There's just a lot going on that like we're sanitized from. It's like an old, an old part of them comes back, you know, like, okay, this is what we're made for. This is, uh, this is deep, you know, this is really deep. And mm -hmm. maybe it just peels back the layers and goes, okay, this is what's needed now. And I mean, yeah, like this is extreme what they do. I, I can't even imagine what that feels like. I mean, I've had moments in nature or when I'm really out there and yeah, something happens. It's like something happens to you. When I, I, know, I, know, I kind of know the concept, like going out, picking a few items, but not in the Arctic. I've never heard of this. One. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Some like, I don't know, watch the most recent season where they had to, where they tried to stay out there for a hundred days and just alone. like alone. alone, totally alone. Yeah. And the stuff that, because these are also like professional bushcrafters yeah you know yeah. they're at the top of their game and like the shelters they build are amazing the ideas they have for hunting and fishing are like unreal the awareness that they have for like what's happening and like the weather patterns and stuff it's it's pretty beautiful it's a, it's a beautiful show so crazy i'm sure someone will listen to this and be like oh that's a terrible show it's overproduced i don't know <laughs> but I, it's i think it's amazing yeah i mean it's mad isn't it like I, for some reason i thought like well what do the rest of us do we, we survive in berlin for 100 days and that's a whole new set of sensory things you know you actually have to block at, block out a lot of things yeah how do i do the subway efficiently how do i get my like it's a completely different world yeah, yeah. Is, th is this something that you, th that you think about like when, in terms of wanting to take your teaching and practice outdoors more? Is it, has that been like a, a conscious thought about like, oh, like what it, what it asks of our senses to be practicing outside, moving outside? Mm. I mean, one thing is like, I want to be outside more. I think mm -hmm. I've stayed enough inside now. Like it's, especially in the working environment. Like we spend too much time in these boxes now, like, come on. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely, there's like a depth to pay almost, like from me. Mm -hmm. I can work and I can make it happen outdoors. So I'm going to do that. And then of course the environment is so rich, so complex. Like it's completely different if I do a standing meditation at home or if I do it in a forest somewhere where I have this whole universe of, of input. You know, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and then it's again, it's like, I don't feel qualified to teach bushcraft or anything like that, but I can definitely try and attempt to integrate my practice into that environment and see what happens. Mm -hmm. I think like teaching in the studio for the first time, it's just a matter of setting something up and seeing how that works. I've, I've taught, you know, I've taught outdoors like quite a lot in, uh, within parks and forests and stuff. So and it's, it's just a different energy. It brings a different attention, both to the students and to me. I always think about this thing that uh, I interviewed Yosef Rusek uh, for the podcast from yeah. Fighting Monkey. And he talked about, you know, kind of like if you, he, I think he was using the example of running. You know, he's like, oh, we could run on a treadmill, but it doesn't ask much of it. And even the floor is moving for you. We could run on a track the track is always laid out and it's going to be the same every time you go around and he's like oh and then there's like an obstacle course and that's kind of interesting but like it's still not asking for like the full depth of our senses necessarily he said 
he's like, I'm interested in the layer that comes past that, that layer where like, we're a hunter mm. or when we're prey, mm. like what, what does that look like? Like, what do we do then? How do, how, how do we manage in those situations? And I keep kind of coming back to that when I think about like the things we're talking about or, or the way I practice and, and, you know, being out in it asks a lot of those things. Cause like it's dynamic, it's changing. Like the, the sounds, the, the placement of the sun, the, the temperatures, the, everything is, is happening all together. It's not just like in the sanitized space dealing with just the person or just the task anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's more dynamic somehow. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, like I make most of the city I'm in, I explore it from different angles. I climb, I, I, I play with fear exposure. I, you know, I head out that, I head out that direction, find some rail I can balance on. So like, I'm already using the environment in a different way, but there's, there's something about the nature or something about this kind of, yeah, this, this landscape, which, isn't fixed as fixed as a city, you know, like it, it's, it awakens something, you know, mm-hmm. so it's just how can we get out there more? Yeah. Because a lot of the, what, you know, like the cities, they're like, um, you know, when you, you're sitting outside and there's a light and then there's a moths kind of going around it, there's the flies, like the cities are like that, like you're in Berlin or you're in Brussels and there's so much happening, they're so attractive, there's so many things, but years just go by and you're kind of just like, attracted to this thing and it gets harder and harder to peel uh, pull away yeah like we went on a cycle ride two days ago to this uh, forest with the bluebells uh, the bluebells they come out like once a year and it took us like 40 minutes to get there but it'd been a really long time since we've been in the forest because mm-hmm. the city pulls you in mm-hmm. i feel you when we, we had to go back to new york recently and i lived there for 16 years and the moment I like step back in Brooklyn, I could almost feel that thing. It's almost like that light turned on and I was like the moth kind of flying around. I was like, oh, like, oh, here it is. Like, yeah. 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 Years in you lived 16 years in Brooklyn. Uh, I lived five years in Queens and then the rest in, in Brooklyn. Yeah. Okay, okay. Wow. Yeah. Have you ever been in New York? No, no. Oh, well, listen, when COVID's over, that's where we got to meet. And like just before COVID, I had this whole teaching thing like planned out. I was going to Costa Rica, New York. Man, like it was, yeah, it, it was going to happen like COVID and like before COVID, I would have traveled all along the West Coast, Asia and all that. But we have to just see now, we have to wait. But for sure, man, it's, it's in the cards. New York is a special place, man. It's, um, I don't know, it's got like a real aliveness. I mean, I imagine it's probably similar to places like, I mean, I've been to London. I remember thinking to myself, London and New York are very similar. Um, I've never been to Berlin, but I imagine it has kind of that same like, aliveness yeah i mean berlin i recommend because it's it has an aliveness but it's 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 special it's a very special place mm-hmm. it feels like something from the past has sort of remained there like this anarchy or this sort of yeah it's uh, it's very different than london i must say mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and where, where are you located now now in brussels okay yeah, yeah so covid we had to stick we were going to move to Berlin, but now all the work, especially with Kim, she's just getting work all the time now. And it's just all kind of placing us here for now, temporary as a base. Mm-hmm. 
think we're yeah we're going to keep it as a base for this one year and then we'll see what happens sort of at the end of the year mm -hmm. and are you i know like i because i spoke to leah she had taken your class online are you doing a lot of like online classes now um i'm releasing like an online package which consists of six individual lessons um mm -hmm. Uh, which is a collaboration with Samuel Baxter and Lewis Cook, uh, two good friends of mine. We just taught like a week-long workshop in Brussels, and this is kind of like a taster of, of that process. Um, apart from that, I'm just starting to create my own online uh, kind of curriculum, slowly picking away at it each day, just creating training plans, sort of seeing how other people teach and just building up this um, kind of catalog of videos and stuff so eventually i'll be releasing more of this distant learning thing but for now not too many online classes i mean a few here and there i'll announce mm -hmm. but uh, it's not like a this kind of live class i'm not it's interesting but it's definitely not something i want to dive too much into at the moment uh, i still want to be you know out there practicing active and the less time in front of the computer the better and I'm so with you on that. I, uh, I, I really, right now I get to, I'm going to go like teach in Seattle and then teach in California a little bit. And then I don't know, as much as I appreciate that, like everybody kind of leaned into like the internet and kind of being there for one another, you know, yeah. it's, it can't compare to like being with people. Yeah. It's different. It's different. Yeah. You feel it like, I taught the, week, the, the workshop last week and the first day everyone was there like, okay, 20 people, you know, we went through all the COVID regulations and everything, but people just hadn't been in a room like this. Mm -hmm. By the fifth day, everyone was just like, like <laughs> I even said it in the warm up, but warm up, I was like, okay, everyone's a little bit serious. And, and it wasn't that, it was just people were just not used to this anymore. This norm normality, which has, has just changed. Mm -hmm. What were the COVID regulations? How were you able to, to navigate it to bring everybody together in a room? Um, well, we kept it quite local. So it was mainly Belgium artists uh, from Brussels. And then we just asked them to make sure that they didn't, uh, that they kind of were responsible of their time during the workshop so that they didn't like mix too much of other people. Or, and then they'd have to take a COVID test beforehand, which said mm -hmm. that they were uh, negative. Mm -hmm. and this way it worked fine i mean of course it's a bit more work but we just did it properly and it worked nicely and what was like the the content of that workshop like what were what were kind of like the qualities you were working on yeah so i don't know if you know samuel baxter or lewis, mm -hmm. cook. Mm -hmm. lewis cook he teaches this this sort of practice called relax to erupt um it's super dynamic super fast he has a boxing background as well so he's kind of integrating his uh, fighting practice with his dance practice, super high energy, uh, really nice guy. And then Samuel Baxter, he's more kind of contemporary dance, acro dancer, uh, a lot of house dancing as well, a lot of rhythm, footwork, and also improvisation. And then you had my energy, which is a little bit more in this kind of, um, I have to say like, uh, meditative practice slash acrobatics flow, kind of flow-esque. Um, style and we just thought it would be really interesting to see how we could mix these these different approaches so we were just like oh, i got a call coming in 
you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. All right, cool. Um, so yeah, we, we just wanted to see what that would look like and it went really well and it really complemented each other somehow. Like, um, how do I make this bigger again? So we want to do a few more. We want to do one in Sweden and we want to do one in uh, London. But again, we have to see how it goes. Mm -hmm. But it was nice, like we would just in and out of our practice and we would have set things, but to stay sort of consequent to our own practice, a lot of things could change during the workshop. So I might come up with an exercise or something that I know very concretely but then I would also allow a space for a new idea or an inspiration just in the moment. So you kind of take a risk, which is sort of related a bit to our own practice, you know, like also the risk of failure, you know, like I think that's an important thing and, and showing the students that we're also just trying new things in the space. And that was really, really nice to be able to do. I think that that's, you're, you're kind of talking about the thing that it was in the back of my head when I was thinking about some of the quality, at least I missed about being with people or that I recognize when I get to facilitate workshops or, or classes with people. Online, there has to almost be like a full plan because it's like you're yeah. not with the people. Yeah, yeah. You can't like feel what's happening and like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and chew on it a little bit. And I realize like if I go out and I'm going to like do some stuff with people for a couple hours, I, I come with almost no plan and just kind of like feel it and then like yeah. layer it in and that as you were talking about that and you're just like oh like that that ability to switch gears that happens with people in person it's not the same online yeah that's kind of the magic that's yeah that's right on like i taught my first online workshop in korea like i was teaching korean students i'd really planned for it i'd set up the timing right but i got the timing wrong so i arrived in the studio with i fought an hour to sort of prepare and get a text from the teacher like where are you and i was like oh i'm gonna be right there so i turn it on there's like 20 korean students waiting for me and i've never taught online this process and i was like okay guys so we start like this. and i just kind of went into it and yeah the first day i kind of rushed through it but by the second third and fourth day i, I found a, a better approach to transmit stuff but it was yeah it's quite an interesting space yeah it's a it, it's it is it, it's super tricky but yeah when you're not with the people you can't like feel that that kind of like collective energy and that collective mind and like what what it needs it's like you know like we might think it needs cookies but it really needs a sandwich yeah and like unless you're with them you're like oh i don't know what to feed you yeah yeah and a lot of my teaching is that i i really feel read the room mm -hmm. I really read the screen and sometimes you don't even see your students Sometimes it's like you see, cause they have their cameras off or something. So you, in a way it's nice cause you have to kind of give up and just be like, okay, uh, we're gonna approach it like this and I do my best. Um, There's definitely a learning curve, but I think it's a very collective learning curve for most of humanity right now. Even if you're not teaching, just having meetings on Zoom, like, you know, it's, yeah, we're all in it together somehow. Yeah. I think though, I think though, in the arts and in this kind of physical education spectrum, it's it is quite a big change for some people. What are some of the silver linings then for you? Um, like some of the good things. Yeah. 
Um, do you mean like silver lining within within the fact that we have to teach more online or like COVID situation? Yeah, or? maybe the whole thing. Yeah, maybe the whole package. Um, I mean, again, it's like a, it's a new space, so you need to learn to kind of refine refine how you pass on certain information yet again mm -hmm. like i was teaching and i was kind of doing this teaching tour so you kind of get used to teaching in a way you have your systems you have your way to do it and now it felt like i came into this thing as an experienced teacher but i had to i felt very much a beginner um so yeah like just building that up again i think is always a nice thing somehow so that could be one of the silver linings, stepping into an area where I wasn't so sure of what would happen or how it would be uh, given somehow. And then another silver lining is my own journey, taking uh, taking more, more of a student approach to an online education and how that works for me. Like I've done online live classes with Fighting Monkey and then with the Marcelo thing and just seeing which one of those kind of speaks to me most. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so those are some of the silver linings there, I guess. I've taken a, a number of the Fighting Monkey online classes as well. Yeah. Through this, I really like the way that they deliver their yeah, what yeah. they do in an online setting. I'm 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 impressed. I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, they've done a really good job. Did you do the zero forms or did you do? I did. Right now, I'm doing the one that Linda just put out the from the other side. Yeah. yeah um, and, and then I did the speed tool and and i think the first zero forms one yeah um but yeah i like the way that they're just like oh let's keep it an hour but we're going to spread it out over two weeks yeah yeah it's also nice like with the zero forms i could just sort of jump into it whenever i felt like well, i'll just do half an hour here for the 20 minutes there it was nice mm -hmm. yeah I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh of their work and their approach and kind of like the as when I talked to him to Yosef, I said, I was like, you know, I think people often get caught up on like the content of things and, you know, like the material. But to me, it's like, I always find it really beautiful. Like when a teacher or an approach has like a, a really great message, because if I get the message, the material is just like kind of like the, I don't know, the topping. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I really like their message. Yeah. They're, they're beautiful people. Um, I bumped into, when did I meet them first? I was in Copenhagen for a two day intensive with, like a few years ago. That's kind of when I first tried. Mm -hmm. And I bumped into them in Spain um, as well. And yeah, just met a lot of people who had don't, like had a deeper dive into their practice. Like Alexander, my teacher at school, he's one of, he's been practicing with them for years and years and years mm -hmm. and we go to his studio like this alexander guy he's quite like obsessive with things so he has like i don't know eight dragon pearls 40, 40 speed tools like he has it all at his house you know so we just go like whenever we're in the studio we practice a bit um so yeah i didn't practice so many hours directly with them but a lot of stuff was kind of passed through um, through alexander Right, indirectly. Yeah, indirectly, exactly. Yeah. When you were talking about, you know, you know, you and and your two um 
collaborators for the workshop that you did. And you're kind of talking about kind of what each person was bringing to the table and you're talking about your flow and kind of like meditative place. What does that look like for you? Like what do you do like meditation or contemplation on like a regular basis or what does that look like in your, in your practice? Yeah. Meditation. I mean, I've meditated for, I was, I was thinking about it today, actually. I was wondering how much I've been. I think it's going five years now, meditating. Um, it started, it's funny, it started in a dance class in Brussels. I mean, of course, I'd meditated now and again in a class, but it was never taken off. But Martin, Martin Kilvadi, who you probably spoke to him about, mm-hmm. he was, we were dancing and then he was like, yeah, I'm listening to um, the Sam Harris guy. And it's quite interesting. I try and go through a concept. So let's say we're doing this bouncing or, or like faking martial arts or elasticity. And he's like, I'm going to put on a podcast. And this one happened to be about violence. And we're going to dance now for 40 minutes. And then we're going to discuss what we heard in the podcast. So you're doing this kind of multi uh, kind of lane thing. So from that moment, I sort of was dancing around, listening to his podcast. And that was my first introduction to podcast i really hadn't listened to any so then after that i i kind of dove into sam harris a bit where i would practice and listen to podcasts and then from that the waking up app and the meditation so i'd kind of start picking away at that 10 minutes a day and then gradually more 20 minutes and now i'm sort of meditating around 30 or 40 minutes a day i try um different kind of breathing techniques or or different poses and that's really interesting how that seeps into the rest of my life not only the practice but also the relationship with kim um kind of instances where i would normally feel uh insecure or frustrated the kind of the the half-life of these emotions are now shortened and yeah it's it's a really nice uh supplementary work to everything and it's something very oh like kind of overlooked a lot you know in a way yeah in a way to reach stillness you need to move but a lot of people don't spend so much time within that stillness at least not consciously i don't know if this i don't know i don't i don't know if this is something you relate to but you know i realized like at different times and we come from really different backgrounds but there was a time where like if i only had an hour or something I'd be like, oh, well, I should do some gymnastics and some hand balancing and things like that. Like, that's what I should put into my hour. And now I find like, well, if I only have an hour, I should spend time doing some sort of like stillness and some form of free play. Mm. That's like, you know, and, and obviously that's just like where I'm at, but I, the values change, you know what I mean? Like, cause they're also like two very opposite but similar ends of the same spectrum. But to me, I'm like, oh, if I if I only have this amount of time, that's that's where I'm going to invest it. Versus like, oh, I need to do the thing that is like the maintenance or the technique or something. Yeah, yeah. And they they start to cross over. You know, you'll start doing your maintenance, and that meditative practice starts to seep in a bit. It might just be how you approach it or how you you know. At least for me, you know, they kind mm-hmm. of cross over. They cross over. A bit. So do you kind of like kind of get to some sort of like place with a certain way of, of being in some sort of meditation and then 
pick up something else? Like, do you spend like a certain amount of time and be like, oh, I've, I've done that and that was interesting. I'm going to try this, try it this way. Do you mean the, the meditation or kind of like the whole practice in a way? The meditation. Meditation. Yeah, like uh, I wake up in the morning. I kind of go downstairs, drink some water, and then I, I start to move. I just do very basic like rotational work or you know some zero forms from Fighting Monkey. Just kind of what I feel like, maybe half an hour, 40 minutes. And then I'll do 20 minutes of like uh, HRV breathing, like heart variability breathing. Mm-hmm. So sort of, yeah, like changing the content here by changing the physiology a bit. So working Z to A rather than A to Z, which you know, a lot of people try and figure things out here. And, you know, sometimes you need to figure things out here. Mm-hmm. And I think that that kind of breathing movement combination in the morning sets off my day very nicely. Mm-hmm. And then I try and implement um, a few meditations later on in the day. I mean, it's by no means perfect. You know, some days I completely like, nah, I don't feel like it. Or like I wake up and I'm like, I don't want to do that movement thing anymore. It's too calm. It's too meditative. I just need to have a cold shower. I need to go outside and shake it up a bit, which is nice to do as well. Or maybe I've had too much coffee that day and, and by the evening I'm like, not. <laughs> so there's many variables, but um, I do create like a habit now of 20 minutes a day of at least the breathing. And that's been, that's been going strong now for a while. Where, where did you get exposure to like different forms of breathing? Um, I think it's a little bit kind of self-explored in the beginning. Like breathing within dance is definitely been something which just changes things. Like, But then also, you know, Wim Hof a bit, seeing what that world looks like, cold exposure, trying that breathing. And then also through Marcelo now, trying some new breathing things. And then like the, the Sam Harris thing opened up many things, but eventually I had to step away a bit from that meditation because it was, it was too heavily guided. So there wasn't enough space of nothing. Mm-hmm. So you would go from a full day of something to then a meditation full of some things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I needed to, yeah, step away from that a bit. Interesting. Yeah. I, uh... Yeah, I, I, I can relate to that. I, I was always kind of confused. Like, I, I don't know that it's something that I would want a lot of, like, I don't know, guidance for, like, the entire time. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, like, I, I was going through a um, bit of a rough patch in my relationship, like, two years ago. I was in Berlin. Um, we were somehow not connecting so easily, me and Kim. Um, and I'd signed up for this... Uh, this one week workshop with Joseph Bartz, mm-hmm. uh, sneaking silence and camouflage. Uh-huh. I'd signed up for that like a, like a year before or something. I was like, oh, I was feeling kind of stressed, anxious, not really sure, but I just went, you know, I went, got the train away from Berlin, the city. I arrive in this space, like in his school. And like, I go, oh, hi. I'd met him before at a yoga intensive in, in Mallorca. So we'd spoken. And then I, he kind of said, oh, hi everyone was just chilling and then he says okay guys we're gonna do 45 minutes of nothing just go in the garden do nothing and I, and it's like just as he said that and i started i was like oh my god I just <laughs> so much some things for so long and now he's just told me not to meditate not to do anything i just sat in the garden like just kind of being there mm-hmm. and 
yeah, it was a really, really nice reminder that actually to, to, to fulfill things, you sometimes just need to do nothing. And that's yeah. hard to do. Some, you know, we, we, we add in these kind of meditations, but they become something. It becomes like a, a doing again. And it's, it's the not doing, which is, is maybe a point of interest for, for a lot of us. I've, I've brought it up on here before, um, but it's worth mentioning again, just because it's so good. Uh, I read uh, Questlove's book on creativity. I don't know if you've ever read it. Questlove. You know, he's the drummer for The Roots. Uh, no, I haven't read that. So good. So yeah. good. strongly Quest. recommend. Yeah. It's right. called, a, I think it's called Creative Quest. Um, but among a lot of the things that he talks about in there, uh, one of them is this thing that you're describing right now, this like welcoming of boredom. Yeah. And we actually, we have so many things now that, distract us from boredom that we never get to go to that place or not as often as we would have and he was talking about how creativity or innovation in his life has sometimes been on the other side of boredom yeah and like we get bored and then we just pull out our phones like the moment there's like a hint of potential boredom yeah 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 you just you fracture your attention the whole day and like it gets it gets harder and harder to 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 prolong that gap of not being entertained like i remember sitting in my car when i was a kid looking out the window you know you'd be you'd read your book you listen to your like cd or whatever but you know at some point you're like okay i'll just stare and stare out the window and then your imagination would just go places like i could start to be like i'll imagine like Crash Bandicoot cars racing along the, the thing, or a spire or a dragonfly. You know, I could really start to jump into these uh, imaginary worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which was just kind of this: what happens on the other side of boredom? And you know, the kids don't have that now. It's not there. It ends so quick, right? Boredom. Yeah, it's the, the phone. Like they have the phone, or they have the iPad, or the music. Like, and and those those moments, like of of not having, or like going to the toilet, you know, and maybe reading the back of the cleaner, you know, cause you don't have, <laughs> like, no. Yeah. And if you, if you're not careful, your whole day gets dragged along with this. Yeah. And, and so what you described when you said that you went and sat in that garden was like, it almost made, it reminded me of almost being like, Oh, like welcoming boredom being like, Oh my God, I missed boredom. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, look at this. Yeah. But it's just like, oh, okay. Okay. That's what was wrong. That's mm-hmm. why I was stressed. Like, this is exactly where I needed to be. And then that week was amazing. It really, it really just like, bam, bam, bam. One week of silence, talking and camouflage. Great. Like, perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, 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 I talked to Joseph Bartz for the podcast, but I've never met him in person. Um, I really, I mean, I really want to meet. Yeah. Very interesting guy, and uh, yeah, very it inspires me a lot somehow how he approaches certain things in his life. It's really—I I was only there a week, and you know, I—I've—I've I've meant to go back, but it just hasn't happened. It's something I need to do again. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I really admire your your curiosity. Um, yeah. I feel like I cross paths with people, and I'm sure you've had this experience. We're just like people are just really good at some things. You know what I mean? And there's like, 
like competence is something that's very addictive mm. right like oh i've i've got some things i'm really good at so like i'm just going to stay in that like competent zone um so i have to say i really admire that like you you have like clearly things that you're super competent at but you're like i don't know i feel like every twist and turn we've taken here there's like oh so i went here and tried this and i realized i'd never done that so i went there um because I, I i i think it's important and, and i wish for more of that you know yeah absolutely it's uh, i mean it's also good to talk to you it reminds me it kind of goes well i did actually go a lot of places away from my own <laughs> away from my own journey like there was a lot of moments where you know one decision leads to another and you 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 proactively make something happen you yeah. set something up you set you're not really sure what you're doing but you send the mail or you 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 reach out to someone you're not sure where it's going and i think i'm very i'm very thankful that i did that in some places because mm -hmm. um, you don't you don't know how much those those um moments affect the rest of what you're doing like you know going there in that moment had had a knock-on effect into things or not de deciding not to take that job or deciding to contact this person it all it all changes things and and i have to assume that like the more times you're like i'm gonna lean away from my my competence it 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 creates like um i don't know a continued like welcoming of being like that white belt in different places mm -hmm. or or welcoming failure yeah right because it's like if 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 failure becomes like uh unfamiliar suddenly it becomes scary yeah yeah, yeah. completely i mean every time you teach you know i you know i get nervous before people Mm -hmm. you, know, you have 20 people looking at you in a room and I sometimes have a mind blank and I don't really know where I'm going because my practice is quite open and mm -hmm. then you just sort of but I trust myself you know I trust myself that if I pause and I don't try and fill in that space something's going to come out and yeah this kind of failure like yeah, the failure is something which I mean we, we know it like people are just afraid to fail and I'm afraid to fail for sure. I can't just claim that I'm not, but it's, uh, I think it's something you can practice. And look at the kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about this when I was talking to Kim, I think we were talking about kids and like, before they have their like default mode network, before they have like an ego, Yeah. When you watch a kid like fall on their butt. They don't immediately like look around to see who saw it happen. Yeah, they just kind of like fall on their butt, <laughs> and then they're like, "Okay, on to the next thing." On to the next thing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I think I admire that. So when, um, when will people have the opportunity to to, to work with you next? Are you going to be at B twelve? Yeah, I'll be at B twelve in Berlin. Um, when am I there? I think I'm there. I had to change the dates a little bit, but I'll be leading a four-day um, workshop on the 2nd to the 5th of July. Okay. That's my, that's my only workshop that month. And then I'll be teaching in Portugal, August the 23rd to the 28th at the summer intensive. Mm -hmm. 
something in Romania, but it's not clear yet. And yeah, for the rest, it's it's less live workshops. That's I think that's gonna hit hit off again mm-hmm. at some point. But now I'm more focused on the online platform and also on some performative work which will come in. Okay. June. And if people want to contact you uh, or be in touch, what's the what's the best way? Best way, you know, either you can send me a message on Instagram at Winston Reynolds, the Z at the end, or you can just uh, send me an email, WinstonGoDrive at gmail.com. Just reach okay. out. Yeah. Killer. Hey, listen, well, I think uh, we're all going to have to meet up sometime in the near future. Yes, I think so. Yeah. I, 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 I think it'll be a very interesting meeting. I agree. Yeah, I really want to. Uh, I mean, I would love to make it to Europe, but... I think you do need to get to I New need, York. I need to hit that side of the world. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll make it happen, hopefully before the end of this year. I'd love that. Yeah, man. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this. It was so amazing to get to uh, connect with you. Yeah, and thanks for reaching out. I really like the kind of initiative. and It's my first time on a podcast. And yeah, it's nice. It's inspiring as well to see that you're reaching out to all these people and, and investigating for yourself. So, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, a pretty amazing world. I mean, I, I, I just put up the 50th one and, and I don't know, when I look back on it and the conversations, it's just like, it's, it's, it's rich and amazing. And, and, you know, yeah, I, I feel inspired every time I finish one of these conversations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of pushing Kim to start her own podcast. I know she, oh, she should. She absolutely should. She should really do it. So um, I know she's going to delve into it this Sunday. Mm-hmm. So we'll see where that goes. Hey, we'll let her know to, to reach out if she wants any, like at least the pointers on like the technical aspects. I think, I think you'll get a message soon. Okay, cool. Sounds good. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Take care, man. All right. Bye-bye. Ciao.